0: Good Monday morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek in Ocala, Florida.
2: And I am Jamie Jennings, and I'm in Norman, Oklahoma, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for September 14th, episode 2518, brought to you today by Kevin Equine. Good morning, horse people. I have good news and bad news for you on this Monday morning. First, the bad It's Monday, but the good news is really good. Jamie and Glenn are here to guide you through another week filled with horse talk and a whole lot of fun. Welcome to Horses in the Morning.
0: Good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on this Monday morning. We have adventurer Tim Cope with us today. He's going to talk to us about, uh, he's actually coming to us from Australia. I think it's like one in the morning there. He's going to share his tale of riding 10,000 miles across uh, Mongolia to Hungary. Auditor uh, Danny Russell from Oregon is going to join us with a live update on her help all last week with the relief efforts and the Oregon fires and how the horse people are really come together out there and some ser- serious equestrian first world problems and other animal serious. news. Serious, serious, serious problems. Sad. Hey, I have some good news for you. I what You know, the fires are still burning out there. That's bad news. But it, apparently they've slowed down a bit and they're actually expecting rain tomorrow. But uh, Friday reported about Auditor Krista and she thought she would lose two of her houses. She was told they had abandoned the efforts to save that area and firemen had moved on and she was really expecting to. Well, the fire uh, abruptly stopped. Apparently there were some winds that changed directions just short of her houses. So, uh, And her husband has been helping out there There was an article written about He he and a bunch of his friends They're called the Redneck Crew And apparently they went out And just helped firefighters save neighborhoods So a whole whole bunch of locals Getting together to do that And if you remember the Cajun Navy Down there With all the hurricanes down there uh, In Louisiana and stuff The Cajun Navy would all get together in their boats And go out and rescue people Well this is the Redneck Crew i guess hey they me.
2: have rednecks in oregon who knew <laughs> they're everywhere
0: <laughs> i think they're everywhere <laughs> okay speaking of rednecks here we go i have a story for you so this was in horse horse ridge horse ridge nebraska it's jb sports barn and grill and it was closed on tuesday for an annual deep cleaning they only clean it once a year was my thought there. That uh, was
2: <laughs> right?
0: The only or the owner, Stacy Fertig and one employee were inside at the time. It was about 5:30 p.m. and the pair were about to leave and go home when they saw a horse outside their window of the bar. Well, she watched the horse from the restaurant's large meeting room as the horse paced outside. And apparently she called her husband and said, look, this horse looks really aggressive. There's nobody around him. And I think he's going to come through the window. At that point, the employee hollered for her to get out of the meeting room. And the horse kicked the window with his hind legs, shattering it. Apparently there was like an explosion and glass flew all throughout the restaurant. So this horse is hanging outside the window and decides to kick the window in. Um uh, The owner apparently came along shortly after that and uh, caught the horse. Apparently the horse had gotten loose. Now, I don't know where this horse was in town but apparently it was a stud horse and it saw its reflection in the window and a big plate glass window and it saw its reflection and decided to kick the heck out of it uh destroying the window okay
2: <laughs> okay yeah, yeah yeah okay here's the deal they caught the horse they took it home right yeah it. had it had okay. some
0: minor cuts but it was fine
2: nobody was injured here's the thing here's what i read I know you said, okay, there's a horse. It was looking on the window. It kicked the window in. I think that for the annual deep cleaning of the sports bar, Stacy and her employees started drinking. (laughs) They're like, let's (laughs) start drinking. um, We're going to have a lot of fun. It's going to be great, and we're going to clean the whole thing. And Then they were like playing some of the games in there, and they threw (laughs) one of the balls, and Turns out Stacey is not as good as she thought she was, like throwing the ball and she threw it through the window. And they're like, Oh my God, you guys are in so much trouble. I just broke the window. Okay. How are we going to break this to the insurance company? <gasps> I have, I have the best idea. Here's what we're going to do we're going to say that there's a horse outside <laughs> and it's. Cause totally that happens all the time totally kicked in the window and it was obviously aggressive. Where'd the horse go? Where'd the horse go, Stacy? My husband's chicken home to the people and it wasn't even hurt. Yeah, but you, you said that you were in the bar and that you were cleaning it and, and it looks like there's a big mess and there's glass everywhere. Um, well we're cleaning it again because there's the horse and he kicked in the window. I'm a little confused as to why the glass is on the outside. Uh, he kicked in and it went out the window. Okay. I think that Stacy decided to drink a little too much and broke the window and is blaming it on a horse.
0: I would go with you stupor. there because it's Nebraska. So I would go with you there, except there were pictures of the horse at the window.
2: I can take a picture of a horse in a window. <laughs> I can Google that right now. Watch this. Oh, boom 25 horses on Google image of a horse standing in a window. Uh, wait, okay. T-
0: wait till later today. I came across the most bizarre horse stories in the last, or, or animal stories in the last week, and I have some of them for you, and they would only happen in 2020. These are only animals in 2020 horse stories. I have those for you later in the day. But first. Happy birthday to Auditor Robin Kane. And we have another birthday, but she also gets this. Happy birthday to Bailey Collins. It's her birthday, but she also got married last weekend. So happy birthday and happy marriage to Bailey. I think Collins is actually her new name. So Bailey's been an auditor for some time. Congratulations. We're so excited. I didn't see any pictures of horses in the wedding either. So I I looked at her Facebook You'd call Bailey. Yeah, yeah.
2: So, I have a house full of guests right now. Abby is back. Woohoo, Abby's back. And then my mom is actually visiting as well. And my mom now officially, because we have a very open floor plan and I'm sitting here in the middle of the house, she can hear me wherever she is. And she now has to listen to my show. (laughs) At least half of it. She now officially has to listen. She listens
0: to the interesting half
2: of my show. <laughs> she, I, I was talking to Glenn. That's how little she understands of what I do. And I love you. Um, she's. I said Glenn called me this morning. I was like, "Hello," and I hear my mom go, "Hi." <laughs> and I'm ignored it. How's, how's it, Glenn? Like, how's it going? I'm like, eh, it's, it's all right. How are you?" She's like, "I'm fine." <laughs> <laughs> no, no, mama. I'm I'm doing this. Th- it's work. I'm, yeah, I'm working. I make right believe now.
0: I talk on a microphone and do something <laughs> three days a week.
2: And I just want to get a paycheck for it. It's yeah, great. Exactly. It's weird. <laughs> um, I just want to give a little shout out to my husband. He's had a really tough weekend. And
0: Wasn't I he would at like Pebble Beach.
2: my husband went on a golf trip with like all his best friends, a couple of his best friends had the big four Oh and, and, uh, you know, he had that a while ago, but, uh, he went on the trip with them and, um, played pebble beach over the past weekend. The reason it's really sad is that I said to him, okay, pebble beach is like the most prestigious, ridiculous golf course in the world. How much did that cost? And he's like, uh, da, 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 da. and I was like, okay, over or under five. Can
0: I guess? Can I guess? Can I guess?
2: Well, I, I didn't even ever find out. Oh. But <laughs> I said, is it over or under 500? He was like, oh, over. And I was like, okay. Oh. So the reason I feel sorry for him is because I am going to spend some money. <laughs> like, dude, at least if you buy a saddle, you get to keep the saddle. Like, he played golf and that money is gone. Gone. I'm like, you seriously you're you're at a time in your life where you are an airline pilot and the economy is ridiculous you might not have a job hey let's go play pebble beach sounds like a great idea
0: okay so i just looked it up you want to know oh god (laughs) it's 550 per person that's to play one round of golf I don't think I spent five hundred fifty dollars on my first set of golf clubs when I used I, to
2: <laughs> I, I don't doubt that, but I would also like to point out that along with that, you have to pay for a personal caddy.
0: Oh, that's oh, I got to, that here. That's a hundred dollars.
2: Okay, so then so we're at we're 650, at six hundred
0: and fifty. yeah. And
2: then what about a golf cart? Is that included? That, <laughs> oh,
0: if you get the caddy, apparently you walk. If you take the golf cart, it's fifty dollars.
2: Okay. Well, I know he had a caddy. So okay, that's hundred. And then then they have to tip each drink
0: is like fifty. So yeah, well, beer beer. is like thirty five dollars. That'd
2: be one hundred twenty seven dollars, and a
0: burger is like a hundred and fifty. So there you go. It's a thousand dollar day to play one round of golf. Now, (laughs) granted, stupid. Granted, golf takes like sixteen hours to play one round, but you know, it's wow. But then again, you would go riding a horse show, spend $550, have to get up and drive 16 hours, spend $550, and it would be over in a day. Sometimes your shows would be over in less than that.
2: Why don't you go back in your <laughs> hole that you crawled out of? Just,
0: okay? I'm just doing the correlation here. I'm just doing the math.
2: I don't believe that he has an employed job that requires him to play golf. I, however, train horses. <laughs> oh, for yeah, living, good one. And good it one. is my job yeah. to go to horse shows, okay, <laughs> and compete and spend money. I have to do it. I have to buy an Andalusian on um, an online auction because it's good for the show. Yeah,
0: yeah, I know. It's
2: all for the show. And going to horse shows is good for the show and good for business. I, You know what? It's a win win. Don't give me crap about
0: horses. <laughs> You go I will. Back say, I will. Say, I will watch. say this. I think five hundred fifty dollars for one round golf is kind of ridiculous. I, I.
2: He was like, "Oh yeah, there was a blade of grass out of places." So. I bet. Like, <laughs> I hope not for. <laughs> like damn, they, they should have massaged. The grass should have rubbed your feet while you're walking.
0: <laughs> and I lose so many balls. That's an extra fifty bucks. So and it's right along the much- water. I'd have sixteen in the ocean.
2: What do you wear? I mean, you you uh, you can't just. I, I'm sure had to buy like a new Did outfit I ever- and. Uh, oh yeah,
0: it's got to be like
2: spent nine hundred. I'm sure there's on rules on what you wear. Shirt.
0: We we took a trip, a company trip to Bermuda in the days when I played golf and still sucked at it. Um, we went to Bermuda and we played on a beautiful golf course in Bermuda. It's probably like this Pebble Beach one along the ocean. It was beautiful, and I sucked. And the whole, t- you know, my whole company was there. We we're playing golf, and halfway through, they told me my shorts were too short. Now they were normal size shorts for what we wear in America, but they weren't Bermuda shorts. Were you like wearing
2: like no? They were like two inches shorts. above the
0: knee, but they have to be knee or below in Bermuda. They made me buy a seventy dollar pair of shorts to finish the last nine holes.
2: <laughs> I'd be like, you know what? I'm just going to throw it <laughs> and so, wear whatever I want.
0: I'm out. <laughs> all right, you. Uh, before we get to a question, first word problems, and our guest today, all the way from Australia, a true adventure makes us look silly. <laughs> um, you. Uh talked to Monty about a horse last week. these tell us remind me who the horse was and what the problem was, and do you still have the horse what's the score? what's the score?
2: okay, so his name is Malachi, and he came for training to be started and he's a fourteen hand tank of a quarter horse. I mean he is a tank I, I actually long lined him and he like took me water skiing <laughs> <laughs> but um he actually. His owners came out uh, yesterday because I give lessons to everybody. It's it part of the, the, the package for starting is that you have to have a couple lessons or I provide that. And so they came out for their first lesson. And the the horse is owned by an 18-year-old girl, the daughter and the family. But the parents came and everybody came. And uh, so I was showing her how to long line and showing her how to do join up and all the things. And then um, she, uh, I was like, you know what? he's being really good. Like he's, he's all of a sudden he's really good. Once we did join up and all that, he's like, okay, I'm not going to challenge The challenge was I couldn't catch him. And then when I did catch him, I pulled forward on the lead line and he rears up, you know, 40 times. The only reason I got him in the barn, because every time he reared, he would land a couple inches further up, you know? So he was pretty, um, interesting. And as of yesterday, He accepted his first rider. That was me. Uh, I got on him yesterday. I actually asked a girl. I said, do you want to go ahead and be the first rider on him? And she's like, no, "No." thanks. You go. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm good. It's cool. She she led him around. I posted the videos on my um, flyover farm Facebook page. So you can see him, and he was super calm. I bellied him a couple times, and and that's where you just get on him uh, on your belly so you can pop off real quick if you need to. And I've sat on horses that reacted a lot more than he did. So I was like, well, let's just see what happens. And I got on him, and oh, my God, he was perfect.
0: No bucking, no rearing, no.
2: No, oh, my God, it was great. I mean, you know, and what I'll do today is just the same. So what did you
0: determine? He just was spoiled?
2: So he just. Yeah. I mean, he's just kind of a a bully that didn't have any boundaries. I mean, he was, he was bred and raised and these people are wonderful. And, and and, like Abby left or when they left, Abby looked at me and she goes, those are the most sane people that have ever gotten a horse to train. I was like, right. (laughs) They're like super nice and normal. They're great. Um, but we just determined that, you know, he was kind of just Oh, with their other horses you that found they ride, the,
0: the two sane people in the horse world. Good job, Jamie.
2: <laughs> I didn't say they were totally sane. I said they're the most. Abby <laughs> said they're the most sane that she's met. <laughs> anyway, so it, it was great. It, it was really pleased. His problem was, yeah, it just ref, refuse it. He just kind of fought you on everything, and he just needed some boundaries. And once he discovered the boundaries, horses like to. I think Monty says the best thing you can do for your horse is be utterly predictable. And, and, If sometimes you let them walk over you and sometimes you don't, or sometimes you let them meander off with with a lead line on, and sometimes you don't, and sometimes you make them stand still. And sometimes you don't, they're not comfortable with that. They're like kids. They want to know where the boundaries are. And so you as the horse owner and the horse trainer need to provide consistent boundaries, be utterly predictable. And so that is what I did with him. This is how it goes. Like. When I finally would get him in the stall and put the halter on and you open the stall door, he would go to just blast right out. And it's like Julie Halter says, no, 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 I get to go first. So you back him up and and tell him no. So
0: there'll be a Julie Halter going home with them.
2: Oh, yeah. They've already they've already (laughs) done some shopping. And so, you know, now he open the door and he stands there and he's so much more relaxed to not have to challenge all the time, because if they have to challenge all the time and guess, it's not like they're being bad. They're just trying to they they just don't know what to do. And so if you say, no, I'm going to open this door and you're going to stand here until I tell you to come out, then that's what that's what they do. And he's so much more relaxed, just having some boundaries. So, you know, my job is to teach. It's great if I can teach a horse to be good for me, but I have to teach the horse to be good for them, which means I have to teach them how to be good for the horse. You know what I mean? So it's, it's a lot of fun. Oh my gosh. I'm having so much fun with them. It's been a, a super learning experience because he was just so challenging and a little bit scary, I'm not going to lie. When they're because because the first couple times I went we to catch him, he like this a doll tank,
0: right? I mean, just, built like a yeah. tank,
2: and would turn his butt to me and kind of be threatening and stuff. And and so when they, I know those
0: back them, feet can kick through bar windows. So <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, that was the girl throwing the basketball in the Papa shot. Um, <laughs> she missed. Oh uh, yeah. So anyway, it's it's turning out to be a lot of fun, and and. I'll just continue to do what I did, and I told the I told the teenager I said next next Sunday when you come, you riding, come on,
0: there You're you You're getting go. on. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad that one's turning out okay because I know yeah. you were this one. Actually, when you talked to me about it off the air, I think that was the most nervous I think you were about a horse or just well, I don't I don't do nervous, aggressive but, uh,
2: because. There's only, only, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Well, when, when horses show aggression, it's pretty intimidating. It's just me. If I get hurt, business shuts down and then I got to hire somebody to get, if I get hurt and I can't get a, you know, it's a little nerve wracking. So, um, I, I tend not to want to do aggressive horses because of the, you know, I ain't 20. (laughs) I'd like to think I am, uh, but I'm not. So I have to keep that in mind when I start horses. And yeah, he was a little intimidating because he was aggressive. Um, But just one join up and he's like, oh, cool. So I don't have to be like challenging to be in charge anymore. Awesome. And then once he did that, he was great.
0: Well, I know there are some of our listeners, especially our auditors, who have their own problems. And I don't know about you, but I think we should hear about them. It's what we do every Monday. First
2: world first world first world Remember, if you have an equestrian problem, it is a first world problem. That is just the world we are living in. Now, these are problems submitted by our listeners and our auditors. And um, if uh, every Sunday night or Monday morning, if I forget, Glenn does it. Uh, I, I put a post on the auditor's Facebook page saying, please you know, tell me what your sad equestrian first world problems are. And these are submitted by the people. I can't make this stuff up. So Glenn, if somebody wants to become an auditor and submit their equestrian equestrian first world problems how do they do that
0: you just go to the horseradionetwork.com website and scroll down the right side of the page you'll see an auditor banner there you can click on that for as little as three dollars a month you too can become an auditor last week uh bronica moore anna hill paula hansford and allison burke became auditors thank you all we really appreciate you helping support the network and the hosts because half of that money we get every month goes back (laughs) to the hosts so jamie gets a piece of that
2: And that Facebook page that we have is a very supportive, non-judgy, nothing negative. If something negative is posted, we delete it. It's just that's not what we go to. You can go to a million other Facebook pages to be told, you know, like when I ride the horses, like I there's other Facebook pages I can submit my picture on and somebody can tell me I'm too fat to ride that pony. Um, but that's not that's not how we do it on that page. No, anyway, and there's so, no snake
0: pictures allowed. I delete those.
2: Glenn deletes all the snake <laughs> pictures because he's a big wuss. Um, although there is a subset, I think it's HRN auditor snake Facebook yeah, page. I think that's nothing. But
0: I never I wasn't invited to that one.
2: <laughs> no, there's HR and mamas, there's all sorts of things. So we can talk club. about, you know, yeah. Yeah. you know, you talk about ill-fitting sports bras or, you know, periods or things like that on that page. Um, <laughs> anyway, let's go to Andrew because his is very sad. He says, I am on vacation for a whole week, but I can't ride because my cows need a new roof. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, you hire somebody that go ride. That's my opinion.
2: Come on, Andrew. Who wants Get to do their together. own roof? Uh, Dr. Ying, Dr. Wendy, um, says that, uh, you know, we've got some celebrity appearances here, including maybe <clears throat> one from your wife. Uh, first world problem. <laughs> Can't wait to hear Dr. That one. Wendy <laughs> says, my feed store was out of blended shavings. So now I have to buy half big and half fine and like mix them myself.
0: <laughs> so so that's a real first word problem there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Laureen says, I am still Loreen. oh, I am still out of work since March 29th oh, due Laureen. to the COVID pandemic. But I'm so tired from seeing my horses every day. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good way to put a positive spin <laughs> on
0: unemployment. <laughs>
2: Uh, Lisa says, I have
0: now they're starving because she can't afford to feed them, but she sees them every day. (laughs) She
2: sees them every day and she's exhausted. Uh, Lisa, I get it because when I before I moved into this barn, I had the exact same situation. Uh, Here we go. Lisa says, I have four horses and they have like four different colored feed buckets. And now I'm looking after a friend's horse as well, and her horse has a yellow one, but my pony already has a yellow bucket, and now I have to go buy him a new one in another color, and there aren't
0: any good colors left.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Every horse had a different color. Chili's
0: was purple. Jacob's was green. There are only like four colors, aren't there? gets tough when you get to six or seven horses.
2: Well, you're going to have to start reaching out and going pink and purple. should be painting the buckets. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Carrie says, I rode in a clinic with like a great trainer over the weekend to help my horse overcome his fear of smoke. It looked like one of those like desensitization clinics, you know, Uh, but my horse was like so good. She like didn't even have to give us hardly any instruction. (laughs) I know it's always the worst when you go to a lesson and your horse is perfect, perfect. and they're like,
0: great. Yeah, you're doing you're fine. Like, no, it's not I lesson, just paid it's not $500. Mine. Your horse is doing fine. You're doing great. <laughs> yeah. Keep it up. Keep it like, up. No. <laughs> Don't have much to offer.
2: But then you also don't want to be a super horrible horse at the clinic. You know, you don't want to be that girl. You want to be one
0: of the middle ones. Yeah.
2: Somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Claire says, we've been camping and riding in the beautiful big South Fork area of Tennessee since Thursday. By the way, I've been there. It's amazing. It
0: is beautiful. Yeah.
2: But today we have a six hour drive home, including through Atlanta with a horse trailer.
0: (laughs) We've done that several times. That ain't fun.
2: It Driving sucks. through
0: Atlanta without a horse truck is fun.
2: Yeah. As you know, you know. <laughs> let me tell you what as you go through the Grady curve on the downtown connector, which is seventy five eighty five 85 merge, you make your way past Grady hospital. You're going to hit some traffic right as you get to about 10th street. And then you're going to go all the way down up until about Columbia Avenue is where it's going to start to let up. And then you're going to keep going down 75. Uh, but don't take 470, 475 usually is pretty good. So if you want to take that as you get down towards Macon 675, if you're going on 285, as you go to 675, it t- hooks back up with I 75 going South. So <laughs> and for new that.
0: listeners, Jamie was the traffic reporter in Atlanta for, very long time. <laughs>
2: <Ten years. laughs> uh, you're welcome. Um <laughs> Kristen says We did that thought- in the
0: pouring down rain through Atlanta in the middle it was we had a trailer. It was pouring. I mean pouring down rain at nine o'clock in the dark with those twenty five lanes that just change the signs are ridiculous. You don't know which lane you're supposed to be in if you've not done it before. It was the worst experience driving <laughs> through Atlanta that night.
2: Yeah, Ugh. you know what? Take the age of <laughs> Uh Kristen says I bought a new used saddle to pit on my COVID pony. <sighs> and by the way, her new COVID pony is Zara. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh. <laughs> uh, side note. Um, but now I have three saddles, but two saddle racks. Where am I supposed to put it? <laughs> That is a first world problem. I mean, Abby came here and brought her saddle, and I like don't have a rack for her saddle. And she like put one of my saddles on top of another one of my saddles. And I'm like, excuse me, that's like my saddle, but her saddle's a lot nicer than the one she put on top of my other one. So I get it. Um, <laughs> Cynthia says I have to stay indoors again because of all the smoky air. And so I thought maybe I'll like organize all the photos of my horses on my phone. But there's too many photos. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, my phone is ridiculous. It's like 10 million Okay, and I'm going
0: to put photos. a reminder in. Have you guys backed up your
2: phones lately? Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I know there's like some cloud mine goes to. I don't know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't know how to well, I'm get just it making out. sure
0: y'all back up your phones. So this I picture, don't know. I'm just
2: going to my, rain my photos back down. Caleb uh, Benny says, I am in Kentucky with three super nice horses, and I'm showing all week. But I didn't bring any help and they're in their stalls full time and I'm so slow at mucking and I just realized this is going to be like a super long week. (laughs) Can I tell you a story? Yeah. When I was in Atlanta, I was a vet tech for um, somebody and I went up to Alpharetta which is I think it's like super ritzy hunter barn and the lady is standing uh with, while we're doing something with her horse uh, and I'm just the tech I'm just standing there listening the vet's doing all the work and she's standing off to the side she's like oh my god my daughter and I like went to the show over the weekend and I'm pretty sure she had already been drinking so we went to the show over the weekend and like you guys And by the way, I'm an inventor who goes and does everything by myself. She's like, we were there for like two days and we had no Mexicans, like (laughs) no Mexicans. The whole, it was just my daughter and I with like our horse. Like, um, I'm I'm sorry. Do what? Uh, (laughs) anyway, Kayla, you need obviously to get yourself somebody because like, oh my God, you can't like clean stalls by yourself. That'd be so weird. Yeah. Uh, Marielle says my horse's sunburn is finally healed up and my kids are in school again. So I've got all my days off to go riding, but now I don't have anyone to hold my coffee cup and hand it to me while I'm riding. Only <laughs> humanity!
0: All right. Time for one more horrible first world problem. Oh no,
2: I have so many more. Okay, well, we'll just have to go. Uh, Aaron had a great one, Jane, Kimberly. Uh, but I'll just have to because I promised you your wife has problems, and I need to air them for her. Uh, well,
0: maybe we'll get to some of them later. We'll come back. We'll revisit some first ones.
2: Nigel's problems. white socks are so clean now, and they're so white that his pink skin is showing through, and now he's getting sunburn. <laughs>
0: And I, his so- socks were white. I got to say, they really were white, which is hard because you know, we're getting just, 12 inches of rain a day right now. So
2: just means yeah. every time something happens, it just costs you money. This costs money. Yeah. Every every time I say something about a horse, Chad's like, how much is that? I don't want it. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, tell us about our sponsor so we can continue to, to buy shampoo for our horses. For <laughs> so. Nigel.
2: Um, well, this is from Kevin, and they say, here's a new bucket challenge for you. Grab a bucket and drill 20 holes in the bottom and then fill it with water. And then see how far you can carry it before it's completely empty. Actually, don't do that. It's a waste of time, and you'll ruin a perfectly good bucket. Plus, you know how that experiment ends. It's an empty bucket. Well, you might know is leaks in your horse's intestinal barrier known as leaky gut syndrome can result in various health and welfare problems. In fact, gut issues are the number one cause of premature premature death in horses. So good nutrition and attention to gut health can alleviate the negative impacts of stress and help promote immunity, performance, healthy weight, nutrient absorption, and positive attitude. Kemen is the industry leader in gut health solutions, For optimal gut health, ensure your feed includes Clostat and Budapurl Z EQ from Kemen. Learn more at Kemen.com slash leaky gut.
0: You know that song, Manly Men? Well, that's who we have coming up next. His name is Tim Cope. He's an adventurer. Get this. He studied as a wilderness guide in the Finnish and Russian subarctic He's ridden a bicycle across Russia to China and then rode a boat along the Yangtze River through Siberia to the Arctic Ocean. His most renowned journey was a three year, 10,000 kilometer horseback trek from Mongolia to Hungary across the Eurasian steppe. And that was with his best friend, Taigon. And Taigon is a doggy. Uh, and he's the author of Off the Rails, Moscow to Beijing and also on the trail of Genghis Khan, an epic journey through the land of the nomads. So, uh, this guy is a manly man and he's from Australia, of course. (laughs) That's where they, that's where they make them, right? So uh, we're going to try and get him on the line. It's like 1.30. If he hasn't fallen asleep, he'll be here. But he did confirm, so let's give it a try. This is crazy. And how do people afford to do this stuff? That's, that's going to be one of my first questions. Writing books, apparently. Uh,
2: not. Don't make that your first question. No, please. I'm not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> let's see if we can get Tim Cope on the line here. Hello. Hi, Tim. How are you? This is Glenn and Jamie from Horses Hello. in the Morning.
3: Oh, hi. Good morning or good evening from here.
0: Yeah, you're up yeah. late. Thank you so much for staying up so late to talk to us.
3: That's all right. No problem.
0: Well, You now-
2: suffered a lot more injustice than that, Glenn. Staying <laughs> up one is no
0: problem. <laughs> That's, true. Daily <laughs> That's true. Tim, <laughs> we were, I just gave your credits of all the we, uh, strange crazy, adventurous things you've done in your life. And obviously, we're a show about horses, so that 10,000 kilometer trek uh, certainly was something that we were interested in hearing about. Were you a rider before you decided to get on horseback in Mongolia?
3: Absolutely not. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> no, I, I'm from a very rural part of Victoria, not too far from Melbourne in Southeast Australia, and Although I grew up close to nature, my dad was an outdoor educator, uh, horses were something I couldn't really relate to. In fact, my dad did bring one home on a whim one day, and for a photo opportunity, he placed myself and my brother, and that was when our little Jack Russell dog came running out, barked, and uh, the horse barked, and I was thrown down into the dirt, broke my arm and shipped off to hospital, and <laughs> I'd been terrified of horses ever since, so... It it wasn't something that I'd ever imagined I'd ever do. Um, However, back in 2000, uh, when I was uh, riding a bicycle with my friend across uh, Russia to Beijing, uh, being there in Mongolia and seeing these people who would just appear from from nowhere on these incredible animals, uh, they'd come up and hand us a a little bit of dried curd known as uddle. We'd have an improvised conversation and then off they'd gallop it seemed in whichever direction they pleased. And it just left me spellbound that these people lived in a world that was uh, where there weren't fences, uh, where time certainly wasn't measured by the nine to five. They only own as many possessions as they can fit on the back of their animals as they move from place to place. And I saw... This union between humans and the horse in a totally different light than I had, you know, down at the local pony club um, growing up. I, I saw this union between people and an animal that had evolved indigenously over, you know, hundreds of thousands uh, of years, and that symbiosis between, uh, you know, horse and and human just spoke to me volumes about you know, so much of our human history and. I knew the only way to, uh, to to understand the the culture and that that process of um, that relationship between the humans and horses uh, was to get on a horse myself.
0: Did you take some lessons, or did you ride before you showed up in Mongolia and, and got your M- Mongol ponies?
3: <laughs> well, I, I had a three day crash course in Western Australia. Uh, I was very fortunate to to be taken under the wing of some some a lovely family there who practiced natural horsemanship, and in three days uh, it, it was uh, there's a lot to take in. But what I took away from that was some of the fundamentals of the of understanding the psychology of a of, of a horse, uh, which which actually spread a long way over the course of the journey. And I also uh, Spent a day with a, the horse veterinarian um, who who set me up with a fantastic kit and what 's more during the journey she uh, her name was Sheila Greenwell and uh, she had always was always ready to take my phone call at any hour of the night I had a satellite phone with me so um, those two things were key. I also did a, a five day uh, pay horse trip over the the Alps in uh, Victoria where I was living at the time. Uh, but apart from that, no, I had done a lot of research, obviously, about about uh, long riding with, with, with horses, but I had barely, I mean, apart from those five days on the mountains and a couple of two or three days on that crash course, uh, no, I had not been on a horse. Before I arrived in Mongolia,
0: did you just show up at some yurt? Something now we cover the Mongol Derby every year, so we're very familiar with Mongolia. So you know, we do extensive coverage of the Mongol yeah. Derby every year. So did you just show up at a yurt and say I want to buy three of your horses, or did you arrange that ahead of time?
3: Uh, I, I turned up in in Ulaanbaatar uh, with a whole lot of gear and obviously the dream to, to ride to Hungary, uh, but at that point. I had not made much contact with with anyone who could help me to buying horses. So I went into the local Step Inn, it was called back then, a little a little pub that was uh, that you were allowed entry to once a week. It was I think it was run by the British Embassy uh, at at the time, and it was a collection of expats, but also uh, local Mongolians. And that was where I met a, a young Mongolian man called Gansuk, and. He was a, a budding historian and was very passionate about Mongol culture uh, and obviously his heritage and, and Genghis Khan. So he decided that, that he'd help me buy my first horse, so the, which, which wasn't as easy as I first imagined. We, we went out to a family that he'd known, and there was a general election going on. Uh, and so he put the word out at the polling booth and, of course, general elections were a wonderful t- opportunity to socialise for nomads. So nomads were coming, streaming in from all corners of the step on their horses. And the word was put out that uh, someone was looking for some horses. Now, given that I was a foreigner, uh, they assumed that I could not ride. And so he was worried that no one would sell a horse uh, to, to, to an Australian. And, you know, if they'd known that I had barely ridden, then... <laughs> <laughs> their fears would have been realised. So what I did was uh, I hid. I hid in this family's uh, yurt while uh, all of these these people arrived to uh, to offer their horses for sale. And my friend Danzuk uh, he he chose which horses to buy, uh, did the deal, uh, paid for them, and then he called me out. And it was announced that in fact the horses were being sold to me and uh, the, the, the nomads were uh, a little bit taken aback but we actually <laughs> spent a couple of days together with the <laughs> the people who, who, who sold me the horses and uh, once I understood what I was doing and my background in adventure they were actually um, uh, quite quite proud and, and wished me the best of luck in fact one of those owners travelled with me for the first uh, five days and um, among many some things he he taught me a special knot, uh, which I later learned was essentially a, the the signature of uh, horse, horsemen and horsewomen across the Eurasian steppe uh, It's called the Mongolian knot among, among the horse people of mongolia and, and uh, the Kazakh knot in Kazakhstan, the Kalmyk knot in Kalmykia, and, and so on and so on uh, until I was told by a professor in Hungary, hung, Hungary that I had learnt the Hungarian knot. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, now I, I so so that answers the question that I had was when the they do the Mongol Derby, they're pretty much getting wild ponies that have not been ridden much. I assume that the the ponies you ended up with were were had been ridden before.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. They they say uh, when, when when you're looking for a horse in Mongolia, make sure you look for a family with lots of kids uh, because uh, <laughs> the. As soon as as soon as the kids can ride and the, the horses are on their feet, uh, the the horses are socialised with, with humans um, right from the get go. And the more children, the the more the horses are ridden. They have some, some quite extraordinary rituals around uh, the the first official, if you like, breaking in of a of a horse, the first the first ride. And uh, I the horses I had were. Were, have been ridden, but there's a, spe- there's a special word in Mongolian called nomkhon, uh, which basically means a calm or a, or a peaceful horse. And the the trick, of course, is uh, for me was to find nomkhon horses, uh, which they believe, uh, and I believe, is in, is in the nature of some horses. Uh, and yeah, I was fortunate to have a couple of nomkhons. Uh, the rest, not not so much.
0: <laughs> so, what surprised you in your first couple of weeks out riding? What what was the thing that you went, oh, I didn't plan on this?
3: Well, uh, many things. And I, I should tell you that that the day of this grand departure, you can imagine word, word it got around what they call a long year of the step uh, that that this, this um, Australian was heading off on the footsteps of their ancestor to Europe. Uh, what, they, what, they, what they saw in reality was this poor, scared guy who, who could not climb onto the horse. Uh, I, I, was, I was quite terrified and, and nervous, and the horse was equally nervous, and I could not actually climb on. And so I left uh, that crowd looking a little bit bemused. I walked out of town. Out of out of which was the capital of the old Mongol Empire. Now, on the second day of the journey, we I could uh, barely barely get the horses to walk uh, the direction I, I wanted. And on the fifth day, I woke up in the morning to mm. this terrible sound of horses galloping off into the night, and the earth kind of vibrating under me. I leapt out, and sure enough two of the horses had been stolen, presumably. Uh, everything was gone, oh, uh, including the hobbles, uh, all of the gear. And I was left with, uh, with just one horse. Um, one of my friends had said, you, you, you must solve your problems in Mongolia before the sun comes up, or you never will. So I, I galloped off. Well, I, I felt like I was galloping. I was really going <laughs> to the walk on that last horse. And uh, a couple of hours later, this herd appeared over the rise of a hill and there at the trail end with these two horses. And the nomad came up and, and kind of impro- improvised, and uh, basically said, well, I know they're your horses. You must have tied them really badly. He, he returned them. <laughs> I went back to his home where he, he actually uh, made me a couple of new hulkers. Uh, the others had disappeared. And he taught me a very interesting saying that uh, a person on the step without friends, is as narrow as a finger, a personal step with friends uh, is as wide as a step. The step, of course, being the those prairies that stretch from Mongolia to, to Europe. And that was the first big lesson for me, that I turned up completely naive with this uh, dreamy-eyed uh, concept of you know, riding to Europe. I hadn't really considered that, that the horse stealing was was a real thing, uh, or the wolves were a real thing. They had said to me, "Why aren't you carrying a gun? Uh, what are you going to do when these things happen?" I was more worried about you know being bucked off a horse. Um, but of course, the challenge in 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 those first few days was pretty obvious that I had to to break out of that little uh, insular bubble of mine, my concept of the stream and and get to know the realities and the people and make friends with, with the unfamiliar. And i learnt learned with time that horse stealing uh, is is all but a, but a pretty normal part of life. And traditionally, for example, in, in Kazakhstan, they believe that a person who can steal a horse and get away with it is more deserving of that animal than you were if you weren't good enough <laughs> to hang on to it. But as the offender, you have the right... You have the right to to steal your horse back. Uh, the tradition called badimta, and in that tradition, there are some rules around uh, around it being honourable. You have to steal your horse back during daylight hours uh, for, for it to be honourable. Um, or and you are allowed traditionally to to, uh, to to steal, uh, so to kidnap the wife or husband of the thief until the horse is returned. Um uh, <laughs> if i'd been offended if I'd been offended every time my horses were stolen or there was an attempt to steal them on this journey, it would have been a pretty pretty miserable experience so I had to kind of take a take on that that uh an adage that i've since learned uh, which is uh, you know be more curious and less offended when you're up against confronting uh, way of life or a, a, a confronting challenge well i'll or tell you, that, that, you know, challenges your preconceptions
0: <laughs> tim we could use that in America right now that statement just in general um, <laughs> uh, you know yeah <laughs> uh, so tell me yeah, about the yeah, night yeah, no. <laughs> of the
3: wolves well i like the horse stealing I had not seriously taken the you know, wolf encounters into into my planning. Um, I studied for a year when I was nineteen in Finland as a wilderness guide, and part of the course that that uh, we spent a lot of time up in um, yeah, in the subarctic in the in the tiger forest. We we learned as part of that course that wolves generally do not attack humans. Uh, it's a bit of a myth. Um, However, at three three o'clock in the morning, when you've got suddenly these <laughs> the sound of howling wolves all around your campsite, uh, and this happened in a fairly remote part of, of central Central Mongolia, uh, I realised, of course, well, the wolves might not be after me, but they are after my horses that are conveniently hobbled and tethered. Um, so I did I did two things that the equine vet in Australia had suggested. Uh, that was I. Uh, peed around my camp, uh, and and I also got a fire going. Uh, and it, it was at two or three in the morning that they came in quite close. The, the horses didn't break from their tether lines, fortunately, and I had just enough wood to to keep that fire burning until until dawn. Uh, when I when I did wake up, there were there were, were, paw prints not too not too far away in the, in the mud of the on the banks of the of that little river. It was close by. Uh, I guess I I, I, um, I had to confront a very interesting relationship that that nomads had with the wolf. Uh, on one hand, wolves are worshipped. Uh, they are their totem. They believe that 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 as Mongolians, their ancestor was the blue wolf, and that when they died, the only way for their spirit to be Released and for them to be repatriated with their ancestors in the sky is for the wolf to ingest their body, and that's why in some cases, you know, bodies are still taken up for for sky burials, both for the wolves and, and for the vultures. Um, so they have enormous respect for the wolf, but on the other hand, they treat it as their enemy in life. It's a spiritual totem, but their physical enemy because the, the threat to their livestock. Uh, is 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 ever present, um, and so that night it was. Uh, I guess I had to confront that reality of uh, of making friends with with a threat, and I think that speaks volumes about that that duality of life out there, and also the harshness, uh, the the reality of how do you love your horse and eat it too? Uh, there there are no cultures on the step. Um, that that allow their, their horses to to die naturally and rot into the earth. They believe that that for a horse to to rot into the earth would be sacrilege and and a way of celebrating that that animal and giving it more dignity is to actually eat it uh, sure. before it dies uh, a natural death. So you know that was something that that was confronting and, and kind of food for thought from the get go. Later on in Kazakhstan, what I did was. I didn't have a gun, but I had firecrackers, and I was just to throw them out the tent door as a, as a way of warding them off. I'll never know whether it really, really worked, but, but I didn't have... <laughs> well, you didn't get eaten, so I guess cool. it's,
0: something oh, worked. No. <laughs> so, before yeah. we run out of time, I want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, you had a best-selling book on the trail of Genghis Khan, and then uh, you wrote another book, and this was more of a, a kid's book, right? Uh, the Tim... Uh, the Tim and, is it Tigon book? A man, a dog?
3: Yeah, Tim and Tiggins. Yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. So tell us about that book.
3: Well, uh, when I was in Kazakhstan, I was only a couple of weeks into my journey. Winter was coming in. It was en- going to be, end up being the coldest winter of that 40 years in this corner. It dropped to, I couldn't tell you, in Fahrenheit, but it was minus 52 degrees Celsius, the coldest winter day. And I was Suddenly overwhelmed with you know, how am I going to survive? I don't know anything about how to cope in these conditions or, or at that stage the culture of the Kazakhs. But a man called Aset, uh, he, he took on the role of my guide for a couple of weeks. And at the end of that, he said, "You need someone to keep you warm at night in the tent, to protect you from the the wolves, and to be your friend." And he, he handed me this sc- scrawny little pup. Uh, he was actually a a, a a hound known as a, a Tazi, a sighthound. hound. And I took one look and thought this guy won't make it more than two weeks. But the asset is this man with the means said, in our country, uh, dogs choose their humans and and, and you're his. And uh, there began this unbelievable relationship between Tegan and and I. Uh he grew into this uh, great big brave adult dog who, who did protect me, who, who taught me so much over the course of what turned out to be more than three and a half years. And I guess from the get-go I realised that he had this incredible ability to cut through all cultures and appeal to the better side of human beings. Children could relate to him. In the end people even from Australia who were, were, were emailing me at the time were much more interested to know about how tiggin was going than 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 my own <laughs> uh, <laughs> personal circumstances um and so my, my dream from the beginning had been to eventually write a book about Timmy mcigan for for young people uh there's a a lot to be inspired by by Tigen and and sometimes you know when young people are have got fears and that are perhaps holding them back from from pursuing their their dreams and their curiosity. Uh, all it takes is a, a little furry companion to to give you that that uh, that little bit of uh, courage and that lesson in, in in friendship and humility as well. So I, I wrote Tim and Chicken, um currently in, in in COVID lockdown in Melbourne, uh, still promoting it digitally. Uh, I was meant to do a school tour around Australia uh, this this year. Um, and, uh, yeah, but, but it's also a story about adventure and, and, and culture because I think that in a digitally connected uh, connected world, uh, what often gets lost is that we have a tendency to be more insular than ever and, and, and stepping into different cultures, looking at culture from the eyes of people who've led completely different lives to us, uh, can, can really extend a person's uh, horizons and their ability to interact with 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 the, with with the world.
0: Well, I have about a million more questions for about your trip and everything else, but I, I want to get the book now. I'm going to definitely get uh, on the trail of Genghis Khan. I, I want to read that book. That's still out. Is that one still available too?
3: Yeah, yeah, that should be that, that's okay. definitely still out and should be available online in the states. Uh, in fact, I was very fortunate to have my. My publisher in uh, in the states, uh, Bloomsbury in, in New York, yeah, and I had this wonderful experience of working with with, with my editor, uh, Anton Mueller, uh, uh, in the states when I was still obviously based here in Australia. Uh, so uh, yeah, it was, it was a wonderful one. I over to the states um, when it was released. So uh, yeah, it's definitely available over there, and thanks to everyone who has uh, has bought it and and uh, posted such great feedback. It's it's been a great journey unto itself.
0: Well, we'll post a link to uh, both books in our show notes for today's episode. Thank you so much for staying up so late. It's fascinating.
3: Thank you so much, and uh, uh, go well. I I wish you all the best over there. Uh, Hopefully hopefully, uh, things will be a little bit smoother on the other side of, I guess, uh, Corona and also this election.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, here, final question. Yeah? After all your adventures with horses and riding bicycle, which one would you prefer if you had a horse sitting outside and a bicycle sitting outside? Which one would
0: you go oh, to? Good first? question.
3: Uh, there's, there's absolutely no question that uh, the the horse journey, the connection to the environment, the things you can learn with horses, that deep bond. There's just no comparison. I would take a horse. Uh, any day.
1: We didn't <laughs> know your audience, buddy. Uh, <laughs> nice job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh,
3: uh, 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 I guess what, if I just make one last comment, I guess what I had, what I had underestimated when I first set off on this journey was that, that the greatest challenge and in reality, the focus of this journey became uh, the, looking after these animals, uh, searching for grass each and every day, and that's something that, obviously, when you're on a bike, you've got this different kind of independence. And being on a horse, it not only tied me to the, to the land, but it, it allowed me to, if you like, uh, transcend the modern world, uh, break away from roads, uh, to have an experience that was, was kind of, really was time, timeless. So, no, there's absolutely no question. And I dearly miss my horses. Uh, they're, they're actually still alive in Hungary. And I've been over to visit them a couple of times since. Amazing. Well, thank
0: you, Tim. We appreciate it.
3: Thanks thanks for having me, and have a great day there. Okay. So...
0: Let's review. Tim, to find his horses, went to a bar with a bunch of drunk guys and said, (laughs) I need to find some horses. And the one drunk guy goes, okay, well, I can help you get some horses. Just come to my house, hang out, and I'll buy the horses for you. And then all those experiences he had after that. This is is a guy with a lot more guts than I ever have about anything.
2: I mean, but just even knowing how to take care of them, and I just, it's just incredible. Just incredible.
0: <laughs> you know, we don't usually do interviews that long, but he's so fascinating. It was just, I had a thousand yeah. more questions for him. Like, uh, what did he eat? how did he survive? You know? And I, I can see what he said though, about when you're riding the bike, your focus is on you, right? Your focus is on you and just, you know, riding your bike. But when you are got horses along, your focus is on them. So it completely changes where your focus is. Them. Um, Interesting. Very interesting. Well, one of the, you know, uh, you heard from my wife earlier in the show with a question, first world problem, keeping Nigel's white legs clean after she after she washed him. Well, she washed him with the Neem and Arnica shampoo from Equiderma. That's why his legs were so clean. Uh, if you use the coupon code HRN15 at the Equiderma.com website, you can get a 15% discount on all of their products. Don't forget that. You want to definitely use that. It's hrn 15, all one word. And, uh, you know, the, the cool thing about the shampoo is it's made with the 100% active ingredients, starting with the base of neem leaf tea. And it also, uh, it, it it just works. We use it on Scooter. He's never been so soft as he is now. We also use the conditioner on Scooter as well. And you use it to really improve the condition of their skin. It also helps with, and this is what a lot of people don't realize, it helps with skin problems. So if your horse has uh, hypersensitivity, bites, uh, mites, any of those things, hives, you can help, or any kind of fungal condition, even rain rot, use this shampoo. It really does work. And... And the ingredients, you know, you know what's in it. It's not like there's a bunch of strange stuff. Read the label. You're going to recognize everything that's in it. So it really does nourish and help the skin as well as helping uh, the hair with a shine. It really does work. So go to Equiderma.com for all of their products. Coupon code HRN15. All right. Um we are going to head next to Oregon to talk to one of our terrific listeners who is out there. And she's been working her little butt off helping out uh, with all the rescue efforts out there. There have been thousands of horses displaced and, you know, almost a million people that have had to leave their homes because of the fires out there. So we're going to get a live report on how things are. And this is going to be Auditor Danny and i don't know about you jamie but i you've been following all her updates in the auditor room on
2: oh yeah that. oh yeah what's what's happening up there is heartbreaking and i love the you know mr rogers i've i've said it on the show before mr rogers was tasked with you know how do you explain to children some when bad things happen and he says to look for the helpers when you see all this look for the helpers. And Danny's been a helper and she's got a lot of helpers with her so I can't wait to hear a little bit more about the helpers.
0: Let's get her on the line. Hello. Hi Danny, it's Glenn and Jamie Hi. but you know that you recognize our voice. So <laughs> i do (laughs) so danny we were just talking about uh you know jamie just mentioned that when there's a disaster look for the helpers and that's really what i wanted to talk to you about today first let's get an update on the fire situation Uh, have they slowed are you going to get any rain what's the story
1: so they have slowed um as far as we know we got um it got moved to a type one incident which means that like We got a ton of federal resources and federal people that came in to help take over the management of the fire. Um, So, as far as we know, the fire. So, the biggest threats were from the south, like Malala area, and then it kind of creeped up from like the northeast in Estacada. So, if anyone's looking at a map, Um, and so those have been held, um, and we are hoping for rain. Although, I just got a report. I just looked at a report this morning, um, that they're not sure if it's going to come today. Uh, so we're just, we're just hoping at this point.
0: And what, you know, you, uh, I saw your Facebook posts all week and you and, and some of our other auditors and listeners as well. I was surprised at how many listeners we have up in that area, but there's a ton of them. because <laughs> um, not, not just, not yeah. just auditors, but other listeners I saw posting that I'm friends with, uh, yeah, a lot of horse people have been displaced, and a lot of horses have been, and other animals have been moved. Right?
1: Yes, that's correct. And um, just in like my little circle, I guess we've got uh, April Shapiro, who's actually our barn manager at my barn, and then Krista Youngblood, who um, one of my horses was boarded at her barn um, in Malala. So yeah, we've got quite a few horses that have been displaced. I don't know the exact number, but. It's it's a large amount for sure.
0: And I know a lot of people have lost their farms. I know there's uh, horse people up there lost their farms as well as houses. And, you know, the, the pictures mm-hmm. coming out of your area are just uh, so sad to look at. Um, and you were going mm-hmm. to a, a, a lot of the fairgrounds were being used for the rescues, right?
1: Yep. Yep. Ours, um, I, actually, basically any fairground in the area has opened up, taken in horses, Um, and then a lot of the large private barns have also taken in horses and it has been unbelievable, the outreach and the donations that we received. So our horses, we ended up evacuating our barn up to Clark County, which is just north of Vancouver, um, Vancouver, Washington, uh, and, we, it's like a massive amount of hay that got donated of shavings that got donated. The food that we have there is like, okay, we we don't need any more food at this point. (laughs) And it's unbelievable what people have done um, and pulled together. And I even was hearing reports that like every fairground in the area has said, okay, we are good on donations. Please reach out to private facilities that have taken in horses, see if they need help, see if they need, um, supplies. Um, and so it's been absolutely amazing to see what people have been able to do.
0: How about you? What were you doing last week to help?
1: Well, so, um, so my, my, this is kind of crazy. So my Arab that was boarded down with Krista's horses in Malala, um, I had him and then I actually just sold my thoroughbred on Sunday, which was kind of like a godsend to not have to worry about two horses in two different locations. But, um, so Malala was hit, well, not hit, but it was, um, threatened sooner. So we actually, Kristen, I, um, were up late Monday night evacuating our horses to where my other horse was in, in Oregon city. Uh, so we did that about midnight on Monday or I guess Tuesday morning um, and then we turned around on Tuesday and just helped evacuate other barns um, basically, I mean, I just posted on my facebook hey i got a I have a two horse trailer and a truck who needs help and there have been just you know i, I can 't believe how quickly people are able to get information out there's been a Facebook page called cowgirl nine one one Oregon that has been able to like pull together this system to take in requests for help or like for people who need evacuation, for people who can help with the evacuation and then places for them to go and have filled out tickets and have volunteers. Um, so we, you know, for Tuesday, Wednesday, we kind of just helped evacuate other barns. And then Thursday I, you know, we kind of had this lull and we felt, okay, well we think we're okay, which we never should think that, but, um, we, uh, I swear, like sat down for a second. I remember texting my trainer and being like, Hey, you want to come over for a glass of wine? Cause we really need it right now. Um, and then probably about an hour later, our area got upgraded to a level two. So basically, and, and I'm sure everyone knows, but level one is be aware. Level two is be prepared to get out. And level three is get out now. Um, and as a equestrian property with about 30 horses, we were not waiting until level three to get out. So we evacuated at level two. Um, and we, uh, so I think that was about noon when we got that and we, I ran out to the barn and at this point I had actually evacuated my horse over to, another area with Krista and the four, but the four horses that were evacuated from Malala. So I evacuated him over to like Wilsonville area, if anyone's looking at a map. Um, so I knew he was okay and it was less horses for us to deal with, but we just like shot up to uh, Clark County, but it was like the worst traffic you could imagine um, trying to get out of there. So once the entire Oregon city area got, um, put on a level two evacuation, people kind of panicked. So we, we had enough people for help. I, there were, I I mean, I swear I can't say it enough, but like there were people that I, I messaged one of my friends who I know had been basically just hooked up and helping. Um, once I got a message from my trainer saying, we need more, we need more trainer trailers. All I said to her was, "Need help? Call Damaris, And she goes, "No problem." And she was like at our barn in I think like 15 minutes, and we had trailers that just showed up, um, saying, "Hey, where do you need them?" And we had a whole system of cards of where the what horses that driver had in their trailer that were being handed to our person at the Clark County Fairgrounds to make sure it was a smooth process. But it was unbelievable. So we got. All of those horses evacuated up to Clark County. So about, I think at that point we had about 26 of them. Um, And then at that point, I got reports that where my horse was in Aurora might not be um, safe. And so I then reached out to. I know it was it was a lot. I then reached out to another friend and said, I think I need to move my horse. So I ran from Clark or drove. From Clark County, my sister had picked me up because I drove a truck and trailer up. We drove down to where my horse was and then moved him. I don't know who this person was. She just showed up and said, hey, I'm here to take your horse. Um, And we drove her all the way out to Hillsboro to where my um, friend has a farm and a couple of other our horses were evacuated there, too. Um, And once that was all done, I like sat in the car and I just lost it. (laughs) My sister was like, are you okay?" I'm like, No. I'm not right now, but it's going to be okay. Um, so it was a, a lot of emotion, a lot of like, you just have to keep it together. Um,
2: I have a couple of questions for you. you. Get to a, a barn. <laughs> couple yeah. questions for you. So you know, I moved to Oklahoma, and people are like, "Oh, you're going to get hit by a tornado. It's known for tornadoes." Is your area known for fires, or is this something that's kind of just happened because the 2020 it sucks? Mm. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Uh, well, so Eastern Oregon, um, is known for fires and Oregon, yes, has wildfires every year, but this is incredibly close to Portland, um, and to the big, bigger cities, uh, which is not common. Typically, you know, we're fighting wildfires in kind of our wilderness areas. Um, and this was taking out entire
2: towns. Okay. Next question. What is it Mm-hmm. look like? I mean, we all see the pictures that y'all are posting on Facebook and everything's just kind of orange, but g- I kind of paint a picture yeah. of what it's like to just be standing still outside
1: and
0: to breathe.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So, um, okay. Breathing. It's super scary because you're like, okay, we're still dealing with a pandemic. Do I have COVID or am I like just coughing because of the smoke? Like it's a very strange feeling, um, to kind of figure out what you're dealing with. Um, right now looking outside my house, it just looks like it's foggy. Um, it looks like the fog has like settled in, but it's smoke. Um, it's not as like dark and ominous as it was a couple of days ago. Um, I don't know if you guys saw, but one of the pictures that I posted from just my living room, you look outside the window and it was like, Yellow. It looked it was like this, the end of the world. Like, <laughs> it was, yeah. yeah. It, it it was like you turned on the sepia tone or like filter uh, yeah. and couldn't turn it off. And I was like, I hate that filter for the rest of my life. I hate it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no more sepia pictures Stop. of Danny. Well, how can no. people reach out to to help? Where where does help needed? Where can people put their money? Where can people yeah. kind of get involved?
1: So we're really putting together some resources right now. And I've seen a lot of um, what is being put together right now is uh, funds for those haulers who were, who basically just dropped everything and filled their trucks with their own money and diesel. Um, So we're trying to put together money for that. I I have some links that I'm being sent that I can post um, and send to you guys that you guys can post as well. Um, I did have a couple of people reach out to me and, I had posted that I was going to drop off some donations to the firefighters and I was like overwhelmed with people sending me money to my Venmo. Um, So I dropped stuff off, but they actually also said, please stop dropping off donations. We are good. Like we don't have enough capacity to store them right now. Um, so that it, is a hard problem. Kind of, you know, you know
0: oh I can, I, know. <laughs> I can relate when I used to work with the red cross, we'd set up a shelter in a tornado area or whatever, a flood or whatever. Yeah. And we got so many donations. I would have to, I'd have to say, stop. I can't because we couldn't manage yeah. it. <laughs> it was yeah. just, yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a great problem to have. Right. Um, so right now I think people are really trying to figure out where exactly we can send the help. Um, and the biggest thing that I'm seeing right now is the, the haulers, um, but i'll keep i mean i'm still looking and trying to figure out where else we can do it because i've yeah. had people reach out and ask and so. we
0: haven't gotten to the point yet where we're the the fund is set up to help the people who did lose their farms i mean we're not that f- you know we're not there yet. Uh, uh they you know so
1: I, I don't think so, yeah. Yeah,
0: I think that'll happen but, as as we realize the mm-hmm. numbers there. Uh and as they yeah, identify the so. need, let us know when that fund gets set up and you know it's Absolutely. legitimate and going to go actually for the people who did lose everything. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, cuz fire is I mean, you yeah, natural disasters, but fire just seems I don't know, there's just something different about it.
1: It uh, causes I mean, it's like a um what's the word, like, that flight or fight fear in you, that, like, reptile mind, it, like, causes that kind of panic in you because you can't do, you cannot do anything.
0: Like, you cannot fight. There were, like, hundreds (laughs) and hundreds of thousands of people that have evacuated, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I think the number I saw was, like, 10% of Oregon. Um. I don't know if that's truly accurate, but, like, it's a massive amount of people because it's not just the fire's, in Clackamas County, um, it's also the fire that, so as I'm dealing with all of this, I get a call from my mom. We have a, a old family house out on the coast. Um, and my mom and sister had been there and I get a call from them saying, Danny, we're on level three evacuation. There's a fire. Like I can see it from our lake house and they had to jet out of our lake house. Um, cause there was a fire in that area Thank God it got saved. And and I have lots of friends who have helped move horses from the coast, but there was a massive fire out there that has now since been contained. There was a fire in so on the West side of Portland, that was about six miles away from a huge private facility that had taken in over 200 evacuee horses that thankfully got contained. And then there are also fires down in Medford in the South of uh, Oregon that have taken out entire towns and threatened a lot of the livestock and equine communities down there as well. So, I mean, it was kind of this, not only is this fire threatening us, but like, where do we go? (laughs) So we went North, but you know, it was very scary because they were basically all over.
0: Mm. Well, thank you for helping And thank you, you know, mm-hmm. for giving You know, giving us some word on what really Is going on out there, and also thank you for all your Posts, I've been watching them all week uh, mm-hmm. Keeps us informed of what's happening You know, obviously in, in Florida that You know, the thing about hurricanes Is we, which is, there's another one about To hit Louisiana again, by the way uh, Tonight mm-hmm. into tomorrow uh, But we have time to prepare for those You know, fires and earthquakes and tornadoes Is just, you know, now, get out yeah. You know, so um, it doesn't yep. make one better than the other, but whew. I'm glad you're yeah. safe. Basically uh, what
2: I just heard is, na na nah, I only have hurricanes. You have fires. That's right. I'll, I'll take our
0: hurricanes. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Danny, well, for joining us.
2: Thankful.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it. All right. Stay safe. Okay. All right. Okay. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Bye.
0: She had to move her horse three times. (laughs) Just craziness. Just craziness. Well, hang on, auditors. Uh, I got some bizarre animal stories for you that we're going to go over for the auditors in the post show today. And you think the rest of this show was interesting. Wait till you see these stories I have for you. Uh, Some of them that it's just these would only happen in the year 2020. That is for sure, and again, thank you to our title sponsor. Uh, we really appreciate Chem and Equine for continuing their support, all of our guests, and also to Equiderma. Uh, all right, Jamie, let's call it a day. Thank you all. all. Right. We'll be here tomorrow. Right. Let me see what tomorrow is. It's the Certified Horsemanship Association, and then Jamie will be back on Wednesday. Bay Neuter Girls.